welcome to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.25. You get a grade. You get a grade. Everybody gets a grade. are recording this on the eve of the NHL playoffs. So before we get into our report cards for the 2022-23 Michigan hockey team, I thought it would be fun to start for our opener to talk a little bit of NHL. And I thought the best thing we could do is to do a draft of the first round series that we think are most likely to go seven games. Therefore, telling neutral observers this might be the series to pay attention to because of X, Y, or Z. What do you think about that, Alex? That's a decent idea. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Okay. So there are eight series, obviously. And since I blindsided you with this, I will let you go first. So you get to pick the series that you think is most likely to go seven. I actually wrote mine down in order that, I don't know, I don't really have a, uh, I didn't look at any numbers or anything. I just kind of, kind of shooting from the hip here, but. Okay. My first pick is New Jersey Devils against New York Rangers. So you think that is the most likely of all the series to go seven games? Yep. Why do you think that? Um, I think they're pretty... Pretty balanced teams. Uh, there are two teams that have been pretty good all year long, and uh, the Rangers have been playing pretty well coming into the playoffs. Devils have been great pretty much all season. I think it's going to be an intense series. It's probably going to be the most watchable by far as well. Um, I'm very excited for it, and I, I just think it's going to be very close. Don't you think it's interesting that, like, you know, these teams are so close, sort of like Duke Carolina, right? Sure. But they haven't played in the playoffs in a while. Not since 2012. So they played in 12. Obviously, the Devils won that because they went yeah. to the Cup Finals. Can you can name the one player who's left from that series. From that series, yeah, on those teams. Yep. Whoa. Um, we might have to cut silence out of this as I think about it because, uh, give me the team. He was on the Rangers, which shouldn't be surprising. On the Rangers, and he's still there. Yep. Wow. Uh, I should. I feel like I should be able to, but. I cannot. There's a young man named Chris Kreider. Oh, Kreider's always been with the Yeah, that, the was, that okay. was his uh, first time in the NHL. He came straight out of Boston College, signed with the Rangers, mm. and he had a nice little niche role on their playoff run. So you think that, that one, that I, in some ways, I, you hope that goes seven, right? Like, I don't... Yeah. I, I kind of root for the Islanders, so I, I have a thing of, like, rooting against the Rangers. But, like, also, like, neutral NHL observers, like, that's a series that, like... It's very interesting. It's um, You have some contrasts across the teams. You have one team with high-end goaltending, one team whose kind of question is the goaltending. Low-end goaltending. You have um, a lot of elite players on both teams, but for New Jersey, it's going to be a lot of players playing their first playoff games. That's true. And the Rangers are not a young team at all. They've nope. got a lot of guys in their 30s or right around 30. I mean, they their two deadline pickups were two dudes that, <laughs> if this wow. was 2016, you'd be like, man, that, that's a killer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the Devils, you know, they pick up, you know, Timo Meyer is a much, much younger player. It's just the kind of difference that these two teams are. So 
whether that conveys any advantages, I don't really know. But you, you've got the inner market rivalry, yeah. and you've got the fact that at the end of the day, whoever loses is is going to be going home and feeling like you know it was way too early. Well, because they home. both had pretty good years. I mean, you yep. would you would you would one had one hundred and eight points, the other one had one hundred and eleven or twelve. I mean, right. that, that is a loaded loaded series. So yep. I'm excited. I had them as number two on my list, okay. so I understand. Uh, the the one that I had one, which I will pick next, is Dallas Minnesota. Okay. I can see that argument, sure. Because I thought, you know, they're both two teams that rely on goaltending and being physical and defensive. I think Dallas has a little bit more or more has more offensive threats in terms of different players. Obviously, Jason Robertson is becoming one of the better players in the league, if not one of the best players in the league. And obviously, you have Kirill Kaprizov for Minnesota, but Minnesota is also... Um, more of a defensive-oriented, slow-it-down trap team. Dallas is pretty physical. They do have a lot more experience, I would say. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a series that you should not be watching. <laughs> if you're seen watching this, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, well, I'm going to have to watch nasty. it because the winner is probably probably going to play Colorado. So I would uh, hopefully I I would have some invested. But this is where you're like, all right, you know what? If all these guys get injured for the next. For the second series, that would be okay. What hurts, I think, for this one for Minnesota really is the Erickson Eck injury. Yeah. Because that's your matchup guy. Because the thing with Dallas is they are a much deeper team than they were previously. And part of that is that Pete DeBoer taking over for Rick Bonus breathed life back into Jamie Benn. So they have. <laughs> In some way. So they have a little more depth than they used to, but they still rely on one line to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And so if Erickson Eck were healthy, you would just try and match him up on them and say, hey, if we can take that line away, then we like where we're at. Yes, and that's what losing Ek, or Erickson Ek kind of doesn't really allow them to do as much. Yeah, I mean, they, they're going to need Kaprizov to outplay Robertson, and more importantly, they're going to need Gustafson to outplay Ottinger. It's quite probable. Are you taking possible. the under on goals in every game in that series? <laughs> probably. <laughs> Uh, it'll be a, a very different kind of series, but probably, I would say, a pretty close series. Probably. I mean, I expect a lot of the games to be quite close. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's, like you like you said, maybe not a fun game to watch, but for to a neutral observer, it'll be one that'll be, it'll be close, coming down to the end. But it might huh? not be good. That's <laughs> Unless you're a 90s trap fan. Yeah. All right. So I, I went uh, second with Dallas, Minnesota. There are six series left, Alex. Yeah, it's back to me. We're not doing Snake. No, you can go. Okay. We'll just alternate. Uh, I'm going to take the other nasty series. Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Islanders. Really? Yep. I had them slotted a little bit further down. Why do you think this, this has the third best odds to go seven? Same principle. Just low-scoring games. Probably going to be a lot of overtime. Overtime statistically, you know, probably going to be 50-50. And so if you have coin flips, they flip different ways. I, I just see this one as pretty tight. Um and would would you have felt differently if, if you knew Barzal was not going to be back? No, I mean the thing is that this is sort of like the thing that like when Rod Brindamore wakes up screaming in the night, <laughs> this is what he was seeing in his head was Islanders. Like that, this is the team that beats the Hurricanes. Like they just do. This is a team that has the high end. You mean from a matchup standpoint, slam the door. On, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is a last two playoffs. Yeah. They go out against Vasilevsky. They go out against Shesterkin. Now they have Sorokin to face, <laughs> and they lose Svechnikov, yeah. who was which the, is a big loss. The one guy they could not afford to lose. They go nine, eight, and one down the stretch without him, 
And so it kind of feels like, honestly, these two teams are about equivalent to each other right now, the way the Hurricanes are playing and how they have not played well without Svechnikov. And so I think it's a little more even footing. I still expect the Hurricanes to outshoot Islanders 39 to 19 in every game, and they'll probably lose two to one half those games. So that's kind of what you're staring down. I just think it's going to be real close. And the Islanders are a team that has gone in deep series a lot of times and they'll grind them down. I think it's going to be close. Do you think that Carolina should have thrown their last game against the Panthers and then tried to set up the matchup with Florida? Um, Because remember, they played on like whatever their their game 82. That's tough. Islanders are just such a bad matchup for them. But I do think the Panthers, I mean, the Panthers have way better players. It's just the matchup side of it. Okay. So... All right, so you took Islanders-Carolina. All right, so then my third one, and I was kind of going a little bit out on a limb with this one because of maybe it's my own fear of playing this team and watching them, is the Oilers and Kings. Interesting. I thought that because of what people are picking oh, at... they went to seven last year. Well, there you go. Um, I, I don't necessarily know that I think this is going to go seven, but of the other series that I was looking at, this was the one I was... Um, I think that... If you look around Av circles, they really wanted to win the division. I mean, part of it is for a second round home ice, but also it's because there was a chance that they. Well, no, what I guess the other half of it of when you wrote when they were looking at Seattle is like Seattle could have almost caught the Kings right towards the yes, end. And yes. if they had, I think they even had the tiebreaker. They maybe. had the breaker. So then the Kings would have fallen down to the wild card. And if the Avs won that division, they would have drawn LA potentially. And that was the one team that I think everybody in those circles, they weren't as scared of the wild, but they were definitely scared of the Kings. And like you said, you look at what the Kings did last year. Now, do they have the goaltending? You know, we'll see. But, you know, the Kings were probably, I mean, the Devils were a big surprise. But outside of the Devils, they were probably, what, maybe the biggest surprise in the NHL this year? I mean, did you see the Kings going and, you know, being what, a few points behind the division lead I, even early on? No, I don't I don't think they were a big surprise. You don't think so? No. I mean, at least they weren't um, They weren't bigger than Boston, Kraken, or New Jersey, or Florida going the other direction. Oh, but Boston we knew was going to be really good. Yeah, but they... I'm not, I'm not talking about, like, how good Boston was or I mean, what my, they... Accept. So I'm just looking at my expectations. If my you, expectations were Boston at 100 points. They had 135. Wow. Kings had... My expectation was 98, 99 points. They finished at 104. I mean, that's okay. not, that's not a, a big okay. difference. I mean, I thought they played pretty good. They had a really hot streak there, um, but at the end of the day, they're still the same team they were. They're not a team that has elite players, yeah. and they're staring down uh, the Oilers, and that's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. Yeah. Um... Well, yeah, okay. So I, yeah, I, I thought the Kings would might be an interesting matchup for for Edmonton, but yeah, they. I mean, they might be. Um, it's just kind of like the big question going into these playoffs. Or like, is Edmonton just going to steamroll everybody? Because they've been doing it for six weeks now. Yeah. And when you go sixteen two and one or whatever they are since they got Ekholm, you you know you get the right to have people be really scared of you, and so. Can the Kings put up a battle? I don't know. This this one went to seven last year. I think L.A. is a lot better than they were last year. At least they have a few better players. Yeah. Gavrikov and, and Fiala. But and Fiala's out, right? That. I don't know exactly what's uh, He's going to miss, I think, at least game one. Okay. Um, but Edmonton's way better, too. So that's, you know, we'll see who got better by more, I guess. All right. So let's four series down. Um, I mean, the, the easiest one now is um, Toronto-Tampa. Um I think a lot of people would have picked this one higher. Um, yeah. But we'll see. 
uh, it's one of the great series to test the theory of flip the switch, right? <laughs> this is one. Of well, they both have to, right? No, not necessarily. I mean, I think you you watch. I mean, they've both been in locked in their spots. They've been playing sure hockey the way they need to play it. But if so, but here's the thing: if you're looking at the last eight, six, six to eight weeks of the season, especially the last few. I mean, the Leafs are coming in feeling really good. Mm-hmm. They they want to you know a lot of the games down the stretch. Their power play is playing well. The penalty kills playing well. The goalies are playing well. No one's injured. Matthews is woken back up and looks fully healthy. And they're you know they're like, yep, we're ready to go. And they got O'Reilly back. Yep, they're like, oh, here we go, ready to just keep the momentum going. I mean, Lightning finish. Uh, they were four and eight, I think, in their last twelve before they beat Detroit to finish the season. They're sub-500 going back to, like, mid-February. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's the big question here is, is can the Lightning turn it on? And Well, and it's the bigger question is, are they still good? They have some good players. It's it's how does it come together, and, and can they find a new level of play? Yep. Because that's, I, I think, to some degree, there's been some misremembering what was going on last year. Where people were like, oh, this just happens. The Lightning are bad, yeah. and they turned on it. Not no. really. So, they, were, they were good last year. So they year. slumped in March of last year. Remember, the season went till May. Till mid-May, yeah. So then in April, the Lightning went 8-3, and three, and they were scoring like five goals per game, and Steven Stamkos had 27 points in his last 11 games. Like, they woke up, and they were yeah. like, okay, now it's time to get ready for the playoffs. They didn't do that this year. So not to say they couldn't, but um, they're they're going to have to dig deep. And they're going to have to find a kind of a new level of play. And it's entirely possible this one could go to seven, even if Tampa's getting way outplayed. Because, you know, they could have a goaltending edge, whatever it may be, to push the series um, a long way. But, you know, the, I, I think for this one, for me, the, the expected games is more six than seven. But it could easily go seven, because that's uh, where this iteration of the Leafs core finds themselves most often. Are you at the point where you are expecting Toronto to win? They should. I don't know if they will. Yeah. I mean, they've this, that was the case with Montreal, you know, two years ago. But I feel like I think, we just did a preview about that a couple weeks ago. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's... I, I think that you go into this series feeling like, especially from a, you know, perspective analyzing this team, is that the GM and the coach, I mean, they've done all they can. It's on the players now to win, so... Yep. All right, I have three series left. They are the th- bottom three series that I have written down. Um, I'm going to take Winnipeg-Vegas. I don't necessarily think this will go seven, although I was looking at, at some of the, one of the, I think it was Money Puck, had this as a very tight series. It was like 52-48 or 53 The Athletic had it 54-46. Yeah, something like that. So I, I, I would probably expect Vegas to win, I think they're probably a better team. Um, but again, like what you mentioned, we've said a couple times, is when you go against a really good goalie, which Connor Hellebuck has been throughout his career, and the Jets have some scorers. Now, I don't know how healthy they're going to be. I know Nikolai Ehlers got absolutely like train wrecked uh, against the Wild uh, last week. Um, but Connor played. It looked like they were resting a bunch of guys on their in their game 82. So you, I guess you would expect some of their players, if not all of them, to, to be coming back. Um, and they're not a bad team. I, they've had good stretches this year, and they kind of, they almost gave it away down the stretch, and then in their last, what, six or seven games, just, just turned it on and clinched their spot. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that I think certainly, if you're looking at just the template, what I look for for upset potential, it's all there. I want to see high-end scores, and I want to see a really good goaltender. They got that. Yeah. It's just, I mean, they're another version of the Lightning in terms of 
you know, needing to turn it on, they get much less benefit of the doubt, et cetera, et cetera, because of they're not three-time conference champions. But midway through the season, it seemed like they were a really good team. And yeah. they were bad for many months. And <laughs> well, in the last seem to have made another coach quit on them. <laughs> so I, I don't know what happens in that locker room, but it's not good. <laughs> uh, but like last year, they weren't in the playoffs. And two years ago, there weren't fans in Canada, I don't believe. So it's been no, a but while. They stole a series through their goalie. Well, they so did. That's the template again. But it's also their fans haven't been able to go to a playoff game in a while. Yeah. And so I would expect at least those first couple games in Winnipeg to be pretty pretty rowdy. Yeah, if they can get back to Winnipeg 1-1, it should be a fun a fun series. And Vegas is, you know, they've they're going to probably start with Laurent Brossois in net because Logan Thompson's still injured and they're getting Mark Stone back from injury, but there there's some moving pieces there. Yeah. They're probably a better team. They need a couple things to kind of click. Yeah. But I mean, I think if I had to pick one of these teams, I, I probably would pick Vegas. They're definitely the better team. Yeah. All right, two series left. I, this, I think, is is uh, Boston, Florida. That's what I actually had a seven, yeah. Um, this is a fascinating matchup because it's, uh, in a lot of ways, the luck versus the no-luck teams. So Florida's been really unlucky. If you, well, so if you look at the underlying numbers, these two teams are about equivalent. And Florida's underperformed their analytics by about 2-3%. Boston's overperformed them by 10%. Yeah, um, I believe I was reading earlier today that Boston has the greatest gap between actual goal differential and expected different goal differential in the analytics era. I mean, when you have surprising. those, when you have those records, like it, it almost has to be right. Like they're they're right, but plus what's, minus what's is notable insane. about it is that they're goal that they're not um, like in the Carolina zone where they're like clipping sixty percent expected goals, yeah. which is like around the range where like the weight Red Wings were and. Um, like Colorado in the COVID year, like there's been a few that have come close to 60. Boston's down in like the 53 range, but they're sitting up at like 63 in actual goals um, because they are like the number four team in finishing and the number one team in goaltending. And so that's it's pretty good. Uh, and Florida's kind of the reverse where last year they were one of the top teams in finishing and this year they're 28th, I believe, in finishing. And the goaltending's been, eh, okay. Um, so it's just like, can they get the results to line up? Because I wouldn't be surprised at all if Florida outshoots Boston in this series. It's just, do any of the goals well, go in and, and can they get a save? There's rumors that Bergeron is out tomorrow. Yes, he's dealing with an in illness, injury, something or others going on the, there. The issue is like, Florida's supposed to have all these goalies and now they're on to a guy who they just grabbed this year. They are going to start Alex Lyon. Ooh, yeah, I think unless they start I mean, Bobrovsky, but to me, you got to start Alex Lyon. He's the only reason you're in the playoffs. They called him back up. He went six one and one down the stretch with a nine forty. I mean, I watched that guy play a couple times against some really good teams, and he was a monster. But he, I so mean, he's a guy hand. that just yeah, hot hand is probably the right. But here's the thing: I I think of all the the positions, I'm I'm care the least about goalies with playoff experience. I mean, mm. there's just no real track record for. I mean. I was actually looking at this earlier today. If you go back to 2003, in the last 19 Stanley Cup Finals, I believe there were 11 goalies starting in those Cup Finals that it was their first playoffs. Or <laughs> or they'd had... I, I remember what I thought the threshold at. It was like less than 10 playoff games. That's crazy. Like, yeah, okay. Like, it's, it's actually quite often that a goalie with mm. no experience... Because what... Okay, so forwards, you know, you can make a case, you know... They protect the slot better, rush chances decrease, blah, blah, blah. Defense, you know, forechecking pressures greater, blah, blah, blah. 
what changes about being a goaltender? Yeah. You're still trying to stop the puck. Like it yeah. doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, I mean, just the pressure. Yeah, really, it's just the pressure. Yeah, you, you know, if you, and it's how how probably strong are you mentally, and how can you cut through it to stay with your fundamentals? And this is and actually an interesting thing about Lyon. In part, is that he's played Boston once and he beat them. Hmm. And so, I have heard some stories of the past. This was the case with uh, Ken Dryden when he made his first playoff run. Montreal made sure not to let him face Boston in that was their first round opponent. Boston was the juggernaut of the NHL that season because everyone was getting lit up by Boston. Yeah. They said, we don't want you to face Just them. didn't get in yep. his head. Yep. And so that's interesting. You, in Lyon, you've got a guy who's never lost to these guys. You're gonna, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, you go. that's what I would So he never with. faced him years ago? I mean, he might have in the past, but yeah. we're talking about this season. This he's season, played him yeah. one time and he's beaten him. Yeah, so yeah. I, gotcha. I go out there with the hot hand and look, maybe he goes wild and makes you a bunch of saves and... I think I mean, they're going to need him to be good. They need him to be real good. Yeah. But I think that the other thing with them is relative to Carolina or Vegas or other teams that their uh, problems with finishing are well established year over year. Florida's a team, I think, going into this, I would feel okay about the idea of them reverting with shooting luck because you look at the players on this roster. They've got yeah. some great players. Yeah. Kachuk and Barkov and. You know, Verhage and Sam Reinhardt, they have some guys who can shoot. So uh, it wouldn't shock me if their luck starts reverting. That is interesting. And then lastly, I'm stuck with Colorado, Seattle. I, I hope this doesn't go seven. I don't really expect it to. Um, two teams that in the last couple of months have there been going in different directions. Colorado's finally getting a little healthier. Seattle has, does, I mean, they have what, a 140 goal score uh, done? Uh, no, no, done the defense. Done, done the defense. Jerry McCann. McCann, yeah. yeah. I mix those Shot two guys 19%. up. Shot <laughs> 19%. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Um, I would expect Colorado to win. I've heard some people picking sweeps. I'm going to say that Seattle goes crazy and gets uh, at home and probably gets one. Maybe goes six. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't think this is going to be a longer series. Um, and it's sort of why I, thought, I think that Colorado played all the guys that they did a few nights ago was to get into this series and get this matchup instead of um, – getting Minnesota. Seattle, I think, is it's a, they're, they had a great year, and they're an interesting team. They have a lot of depth. But, you know, like you said, the two things that you're looking for in an upset are good goaltending and elite finishers, and they don't really have either of those. Well, they have guys who finish at an elite level this year, just not established year over year. And right. that's the, one of the big questions of the series. Seattle shot the lights out this season. Right. And so that's whether that continues is a big question. I, I think with this matchup, the Avalanche have a remarkable knack for getting the most lopsided series every year in the first round. Now, I think that... <laughs> well, they were the one seed the last now two. Now, I think that... No, but so they've been a one seed in different divisions, etc. But, like, I think I think the Kraken are much better than the previous three. The the Blues without Perron, and sure. they had the COVID, and... The, well, Nashville is Nashville not, without Soros, yeah. and the Avalanche in the bubble. Those three teams, they weren't beating the garbage man. Yeah. Like, that, those... That was those were some sad series. Crack and I think are better than that. I think that they are a real team you have to respect, but it's still an uphill battle for them. It's the Philip Grubauer revenge series. Um, you know they're not going to win if he's at an eight ninety five like he was in the regular season. Yeah, they need nine fifteen, nine twenty from him, and eh, it could happen. I think the big they're question. Not start Joey Decord. My big question now, or Martin Jones. <laughs> my big question for them is. If I'm Dave Haxtell, I'm trying to figure out what my matchup line is going to be in this series. Because it might not even be a, a line that I've had established. It might be Beneers, Brandon Tanev, and Morgan Geeky. Like you're putting a line together. Putting a line together. And try and blanket uh, 
the the McKinnon and Ranton in line because if if, the, if that's what Colorado does, they they split those sure, two up. They though. they could do that. It's what I would feel good about in my advantages if I'm Seattle playing in the playoffs is that I got better depth scoring than almost anybody else because we don't have elite players. Like who else has Daniel Sprong born in twenty on their? Yeah, they have like line? I think like, they have thirteen guys that have like they are twelve goals or more yeah, or something they're, like they're that. They're a great yeah. team at just like everyone can chip in a little bit. Yeah. They don't have any guys that are plugs, right? They just yeah. they have a deep lineup, and so I'm going into any matchup feeling like if I could find a way to chop off my opponent's elite players, then I feel great because we got better depth guys. Yeah, but <laughs> we don't have any elite players. We don't have so. We, so we got to find a way to neutralize yeah. them, and and that's going to be what Hackstall will be will be searching for. But if they don't get goaltending, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so, it starts in net. Yeah, I mean it's it'll be interesting in that regard. And and the funniest thing, and my last thought on the Kraken is is how much of that depth scoring was just guys people were begging them to take. <laughs> like, yeah, Daniel Sprong got cut by every team in the league, basically. Yeah, Ellie Tolvin and got waived by Nashville. Well, a number of these guys were in the and were in the. Expansion draft. Some of them, but these two guys they were I mean, waived. Like, I mean, you know, Oliver Bjorkstrand, Columbus was like, "Please yeah, that take was, him so we can sign Eric Branson." That was a weird. Like, sure, I mean, we talked about they, that. They have they've done a little bit of that. Just like leave cap space and just let yourself sit there and pick up the mistakes made yeah. by other GMs, which is not something we were thinking right after the expansion draft, but. So we've almost done a full segment uh, on the NHL playoffs. I guess it's probably not surprising if you're listening to this. So we're going to get into doing our report cards, which are the last couple of seasons. We have gone through and graded Michigan in terms of individual players and then like groups of things like offense, defense, power play, goaltending, that sort of thing. Um, and so we'll just kind of go through and talk about them. Since we've already talked a bit of hockey and the NHL playoffs. Um, I think we'll start with the defense and goaltending since there are fewer guys to go through and probably a lot more we can, we won't talk about quite as much. Um, and then we'll move into the forwards in the next segment. So uh, defense or goaltending first, Alex? We can start with goaltending. Goaltending. Well, I guess we are not burying this lead. So, I mean, it begins and ends sort of like Michigan season with Eric Portillo, where, you know, I think he had a fine year overall. Um, in, I think a lot of teams would have taken Eric Portillo on them. The problem is, is that after what he did last year, which was a very, very good year, one of the better years we've seen in, in a Michigan net, he backed it up with a 908 save percentage, which was lower and a 3.00 GAA. Now, obviously some of that is, you know, defense related and and you know Michigan the last or this year especially has been a lot of fingers pointed at defensemen in their own end and that sort of thing um but you know as we talked about last week he mostly cost them the national semifinal and you know the thing about that was it was that was not um a one-off you know, we had seen a number of those games. Now, recently, I you know, we talked, we thought he had gotten better. He'd looked really good uh, in the NCAA tournament, in the Big Ten tournament, and maybe even that last series against Notre Dame. Um, so it, we felt reason to believe going into it that, uh, you know, into that into the Frozen Four, that, that he was going to give a decent performance. But alas, he didn't. And, and unfortunately, that's going to be a bit of a lasting memory with, um, with Michigan hockey fans. Well, what's your grade? So... I gave him a C because I expected better. And 
it was about as average of a performance as I could really come up with. But I, I was expecting him to be... We Remember in the preview, we talked about that we thought the defense was going to be experienced and they had experience in net. And so if and when the scoring came, the defense and net minding were going to at least carry him through the beginning part of the season. And that didn't happen either. And it didn't really happen down the stretch, or at least in the, in the Quinnipiac game. And... So, I mean, you could, you could, I could see going worse than that. Um, but I do think that he did curve back towards the end of the season sans the last game. So I, I went with about a C. I have him between a D and a D plus. Um, 46th in the country in save percentage. Yeah. That's bad. Yep. I mean, it, you know, it, there, there's no real other way to put it. College hockey is not the NHL. Like, it's, it's if you have a 908, you're not very good. And I'm not willing to believe that uh, Michigan's defense was worse than Bentley's or <laughs> Alaska Anchorage. Like, I mean, uh, well, it was it was a different kind, I'm guessing. But yeah. so I like at the end, they got to make some saves and he gets upgraded a bit for putting together four or five good games. But it's four or five good games out of 40. And one of them wasn't in the biggest game of the season. So I don't know what else you can really say. The interesting thing, again, and we talked about this before, we'll, we'll quickly run through it, is that. He struggled with things I don't remember him struggling with. Dropping nope. the stick, dropping pucks out of his glove, like getting lost and, and then not moving. And those weren't things that, I mean, we didn't see that in the first two years, did you? It was a very strange year. Yeah. And that's unfortunate for him, but um, we're trying to be as real as we can here. So do you have anything more on Eric or are we moving forward? Nope. No? All right. So Noah West, we saw play, I didn't even write down his statistics. We saw him play three games. He played, or he played both of the away Penn State games. The first game, Michigan was basically a no-show, and yep. he, I thought that was his best game of the year. He played really well, uh, still giving up three goals, but basically standing on his head because Michigan had almost no sh- chances on net. Yeah. And then he played pretty well in the second game, too, and gave up a rush of goals towards the end. I think one or two of them might have been on him, um, but you know, was was fine in that game and then played against Minnesota in, I believe, the second game. I think Narado sent a message to Portillo saying, we're going to need better from you. And uh, West did not necessarily answer the call in that game, gave up a couple of clunkers. I had him at about a C because he was about what I expected from him there too. I, I You saw a little bit of, of hope uh, in one of the games in the first game and then as the second game ended and then through the third game that we saw him, Kind of went back to about, yeah, well, I mean, he, he seems like a college backup. Yeah, I mean, he's fine. He, he only played three games. He looked okay. And that was really all you can say. And, I mean, he didn't even, there weren't even times. I mean, remember last year they brought in Jack Levy a couple of times in blowouts. I mean, West didn't really ever see the ice at all. Like, even in, Yeah, but the Levy stuff was like, sure. we wanted to get him on the ice one time. I mean, right. West started games. Yes, that's true. Not many of them. <laughs> sure, but that that's typically when you're starting games, that means you're not eligible for the Jack Levy coming in in a blowout. Sure, that's fair. Uh, and then we have Tyler Shea, who uh, I just gave an NA to because um, yeah. the one thing that he did, do you remember what he did? Yeah, he was dressed as a forward. And? They didn't play him. He did one thing. He served a penalty. He served right? a penalty. Yeah, but they didn't play him. That was no. very strange to me. Uh, so I heard, um, some scuttling around up in the press box and, uh, people were like, oh, well, I bet he played out at some point in his life. No, he never did. So it doesn't matter. He can skate. I mean, 
Oh, yeah, they, they also go out there they were also struggling I mean, to find. They didn't have any bodies. If, yeah, if you're going to dress him and then not bother to play him, I don't know what the point of dressing him was. I that that's I mean, that's a point. Um, I I think they also struggle. I he wore Frank Nazer's jersey yeah. because like they didn't have any ones that were small enough. I mean, he was, he was, I think he was like 160 pounds. Like he was really small and yeah. who they were skating him against. He would have been playing against was Minnesota, not like Robert Morris or something like this was not a, uh, that was not a serious. <laughs> I mean, I was surprised they even had him serve the penalty. I was hoping that the puck would be in his own end and he'd have to go back and defend just cause he wanted to see him play. But, um, that is pretty much the extent of Tyler Shea's Michigan career on the ice. So now we can transition to defense, uh, and the first, it kind of stops, and not, the guy of most significance is is Luke Hughes, and um, this is going to be kind of interesting, because he came in um, with the world at his feet, basically, having a pretty good freshman year. We were, in some senses, a little surprised he came back, and then the Devils announced it early, and so you knew he was, but he was playing well enough that if he left, you weren't going to be like... There's no way this is even possible. Like, so he was, you know, going to be one of the best players in college hockey. And in some senses he was, um, I have him written down like notes were just like, basically he was absolute lightning at times. And then he would get lost a lot. Um, the one thing I wonder, and we, we don't have, I don't have the stats of this. You've found some backdoors at times, but maybe he was overplayed. In terms of minutes and... He, he played a lot of time. He did play a lot. Um, he has tons of potential. It felt more of like a roller coaster year for him. I mean, in the first half of the year, we were kind of dogging him a little bit about, um, you know, playing defense and in his own end and give it being giving up odd man rushes and then getting lost on guys. And, you know, he'd fixed a bunch of that in the second half of the season, gotten a lot better, and then it kind of waffled around again towards the end of the season, and, um, you know, nothing more than the Quinnipiac game, where, you know, he was apparently pretty sick in that game, he was throwing up behind the bench, um, but he did not have a great game there either. However, offensively, he was pretty amazing, (laughs) and 10 goals and 38 assists for 48 points, I think they only played 41 games, I mean, so I ended up giving him a B, Um, I thought, some areas he was really, really, really good, and then in other areas he was not as good. And, um, you know, but if you take him off this team, I think that Michigan suffers greatly. We saw what it was like to play without him against Ohio State and um, Notre Dame, and it did not go well for Michigan. I don't think they won one of those games. So uh, I thought a B because I thought there was a lot more there, but he still had a, a pretty good year. Yeah, B, B minus makes a lot of sense. Um, I think a lot of the defensive um, warts that we saw more than we did last year was just related to his role, and I think that's a big question for um, the the Devils and how they're going to plan to use him because he was playing more of a number one defenseman role this year yeah. versus having a, a different pair to soak up more responsibilities. And you know that's kind of the uh, that's a big question you often have to have with puck rushers. Do you is, think he is, plays in the playoffs? Um, I would doubt it. Yeah. I was kind of thinking. Uh, I'm talking more in the long term in yeah. terms of like, is this so like there's a big difference between like what John Carlson did for Washington when they won the cup where he's a puck rusher, but he's also playing 26, 27 minutes a night in all situations. Yeah. Versus like sort of the Morgan Riley type thing or like kind of what Phil Housley was a little more where he like 
they can't play on the penalty kill. They have to be heavily sheltered and that sort of thing. And that's a big, big distinction. Like the Tyson Berry mold. Yeah. So that's a big distinction for a puck rusher. And I don't know where Hughes will land, but we'll see as, as his career develops. But his offensive value in the transitional and all that kind of stuff is and is his creation huge. and I mean yeah. you know the play that he made to get the puck to Fantilli before the, for the tying goal in the Quinnipiac game was just another example of like you know you, he gives up stuff on the other end then he does that and you're like well it's hard to take him off the ice. All right, the next guy is his defensive partner. Um, I so I went with Keaton Pearson here because I, I want to talk about Truscott later um, because. In the end, when the games really counted, you know, Keaton Pearson played with Luke Hughes. Uh, he's a senior, had no goals and 11 assists uh, for 11 points. Um, I gave him, I bumped him up to a B because I thought that he played pretty well with Hughes for the most part. Um, I don't think that is what his role was planned on being, and I don't think that that's where Michigan wanted to use him. But with Truscott being out, you needed a guy who was pretty steady in his own end and he could kind of be as we kind of refer to a babysitter a little bit where guys like you know go get him and I'll make sure we're back I'm back or someone's back and all that stuff and you know I I don't think he was like awesome in that role but I don't think he's like really suited for that role despite him playing with power uh sometimes last year doing the same thing um I think Michigan wanted to be a third pair he ended up having to play a lot of minutes with Hughes and I didn't really notice him for a ton of mistakes in the back end I like Keaton Pearson quite a bit um, I mean, he transferred to North Dakota, which, which is yeah. a legitimate transfer. And that's like a big difference than Eric Ciccolini going to Clarkson. Right. right. So that like indicates, and I, yeah, I mean, I think that he's a good player. Um, so I, he get, he had to step up and he has his limitations, but I thought he was fine. I give him a B plus. Yep. I don't disagree. Uh, the second pair, Seamus Casey and Ethan Edwards will go to Casey first. Um, he was a second round pick. Uh, last year's draft into a freshman this year, smaller, but um, man, can he skate? And like you said, he probably has the best hands on the team. Um, and honestly, like his goal against Quinnipiac was one of the plays of the year for Michigan and probably his highlight of the year where he goes from the point between a few guys, gets to the net and then goes around the goalie and finishes far side. Um, you know, he's coming back next year, and, I mean, he's probably going to be Michigan's top defenseman. And so I gave him an A because I couldn't really think of anything that he needed to do that I wasn't expecting. You want him to be a little better uh, in transition and, and not losing his defensive assignment. That happened a little bit. You want him to be a little better in his own end. I get all that. Um, but that stuff is things that, for a guy with his offensive skill set, are things to work on down the road. He showed that he could completely play at this level and was, you know, really the only guy doing anything um, that wasn't on the top line for Michigan against Quinnipiac. Yeah, I'll give uh, Casey an A minus or some B plus, something like that. Good player. Uh, had a nice season, really drove that uh, second pairing for Michigan, chipped in some, you know, secondary offense, played power play two, and. Mm-hmm. I could jump up a little bit when, when Hughes was hurt. So I thought he had a, a nice year. We'll see how he grows moving forward. Eight goals, 21 assists for 29 points in 41 games for a second-pair freshman defenseman. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah, pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he do, he doesn't even have to improve a ton on that for next year, I don't think, and, and you would still consider it remotely successful. 
Ethan Edwards was his partner. He was a sophomore this year, a fourth-round pick by Vegas uh, in a couple drafts ago. Four goals, ten assists. Oh, he was picked by uh, New Jersey. Jersey, that's right. I'm As all of them are. Inflating him with somebody. Hallam. Hallam, that's right. Um, yes, for New Jersey. Um, he was, you know, he missed the first series and then came back and, and against Lake State. He had like a, a really nice, a couple nice really offensive plays and then a really bad defensive play. And he kind of did that at times throughout the season where he'd look really, really good going forward and he'd look okay in his own end and then he'd have a breakdown and um you know it was a bit of a roller coaster year he didn't have the offensive production jump um from his freshman to his sophomore year i i think he got better at some things but i think we're looking for a little bit more consistency next year um i gave him a b i thought he was pretty good especially going forward in his zone um was Better, but still not where he needs to be. I'll give him a C. You know, I I am not the biggest Ethan Edwards fan personally. Mm-hmm. Um, he had three five minute majors in like a four week span. Well, that and, and none of them were particularly relevant. Yep. to the You're game. Right. Like <laughs> you're right. That's and he's not chipping in a ton of offense. He's not very good defensively at all. Um, you didn't think he got better? I thought he was okay. But I thought he was definitely weaker of the pair than Casey, and I think Casey would have been a lot better having someone else there to help. Um, well, okay. And so remember, they I, did that after the Minnesota or going into the Minnesota series, where they split up Hughes, Edwards, and Casey, and then that's when the Truscott injury happened, and yeah. it kind of forced everything back. I, I'd like to see Edwards more in a like ideally in a third pair role where he can take a little more risks and. Uh, not get burned as much, not get exposed as much, but he also just needs to like l- stop hitting people. Well, that's for true. no apparent reason. Like, there's just a there's a brainlessness to his game that very much frustrates me. Okay. Yes. Um, well, and that I think that needs to be a point of contention going into uh, the off season. Regardless, is like, hey, everyone on this hockey team, we need to stop taking these. <laughs> you need to stop hitting people in a way that yeah. is going to get you kicked out because it changes games. He, he's just a guy that I think needs to kind of pick what his lane is going to be. You know, if he's an offensive defenseman, he needs to be taking more risks and creating more offense. If he's going to be a defensive defenseman, he has some a ways to go in sharpening his game and playing a little smarter with the physicality. Right now, he's kind of a squishy middle. Hmm. Where so he's he, almost trying to do both. Right, well, he's not a defensive savant, yeah. but he's also producing 14 total points, yeah. right? So it's like, okay, like... Do you think he was another guy that was just sort of, like, put I, in an I awkward to, position from the Truscott injury? Possibly. I wanted to see, um, you know, I wanted to see him take a larger step forward. I, I did, too. Uh, especially, especially offensively. All right, uh, then the last pairing that we ended with was uh, Jay Karanen and Steve Holtz. Um Karen not much on the offensive end, one goal and four assists, uh, but f- for five total points. I, you know, I thought that during a critical, you know, during the stretch where Michigan's trying to make up ground and get to the point of where they're trying to get back to being that two seed in the Big Ten tournament, uh, you know, he was really solid, especially in that Michigan State series and the Penn State series, like in those and the um, the Wisconsin series where. You know, it's like, okay, are we, the way Michigan's starting to gather points 
and get back and get back into the the race. He played pretty well, um, you know, and that was right after the Truscott injury, and so he was kind of forced into a better another role. He doesn't really do anything offensively, but defensively and on the penalty kill, I thought he was actually pretty good. I ended up giving him about a B. And in hindsight, uh, that makes my Edwards grade not look as good. Yeah, I think a B is fine. I mean, Carradine definitely stepped up and filled a void. I mean, he's an all-defense defenseman, but uh, played minutes on the penalty kill, had some notable moments in rush defense, that sort of thing, and they trusted him a decent amount. So it's a uh, not a terrible year, all things considered. Um, his, his, his his one goal was a game-winning goal against Lindenwood. <laughs> oh man, the the note that I had for him was um, getting that ridiculous major and breaking the Penn State dude on the check in the corner. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of his other kind of crazy moment of the year. Steve Holtz, uh, you know, he has a whole off the ice story that a lot of people have written about, and there's a lot to that. Um, I gave him an incomplete because uh, just being able to come back is a big deal and play hockey. He had the game-winning goal against Wisconsin. I think it was game one of the Big Ten tournament. Yep. Um, I, I, I'm i not a Holtz fan in terms of his game play. I, he doesn't move as well enough for me, and, and his largeness and physicality is not really uh, something that seems to be valued in college hockey. And so um, he's had trouble defending at times. Um but the fact that he was able to come back and play and that he's still, you know, playing hockey and, and you know, contributed in some way is a big deal. I I question whether, you know, he was the best option to sit back uh, at, at this fifth or sixth defensive spot instead of maybe a Luca Fantilli. Um, and I think if Jacob Truscott had not gotten hurt, he probably would not have played. But, um, you know, props to him. And, and that goal was, was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll give him a C. Thought he uh, had uh, some nice contributions once he came back. That goal, and you know, you're in the lineup and you're playing a third pair role, and um, it's just a nice story overall. And uh, I didn't have any major issue with his game. I mean, you're playing third pair; it's not like you have a ton of opportunity to be great or terrible. It's just right. You're there, I just you're, thought you're soaking up minutes, and when you're in the lineup in that capacity, then you know. Give him a shout out. So now we get into the reserves, and this is where I put Truscott because that's where he finished the season. And you know, I gave him an incomplete because when I started to look at his numbers, he had four goals and twelve assists for sixteen points, and he only played maybe what two thirds of the year, maybe a little over half. And so he was going to be on track to have his best year. And he was, you know, with Hughes. I think they were starting to turn things around, and you kind of wonder how um, some of those games play out. Uh, if it's Truscott playing there instead. And and he was starting to chip in offensively. I think he had the game winner in that one of those, uh, in overtime in that in Minnesota, Minnesota yeah. series. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, there was rumors that he might sign with Vancouver. And it looks like that's probably not going to happen. It looks like he will be back in Ann Arbor for another year. And it feels like that would be really great for Seamus Casey if you put him next to next to Casey going into next year and allowed him to have an experienced uh, defensive partner who, you know, does play defense, but can also step up and, and move the puck a little bit, or at least take some shots on the power play. Yeah. It's been so long since uh, Truscott played that <laughs> yeah. it's uh, kind of hard to grade at this point, but he was having a nice year before he got injured overall. So he's having a great year. Give him a B or something like that. B plus. 
Okay. Well, I still did it incomplete because sure. I, I, I was thinking it was going to be higher, but then like, you know, it's also hard to impact somebody, you know, you don't know how those games would have gone. And, um, he did, I thought it was going pretty well up until that injury. Um, then Luca Fantilli, who seemingly down the stretch dressed for every game, but played in like almost none of them other than maybe some of the Colgate game. He did play in games earlier in the year, two goals, five assists for seven points. Um, I thought at times he looked really intriguing with the puck. He looked pretty good um, going forward in his own zone and in transition. I know he got burned a number of times, including uh, in Cleveland, uh, gave up an odd man rush that that led to a goal. Um, And it seemed just like, you know, they didn't trust him enough on defense and thought that, all right, we need to play Karen and Holtz, two guys who are more defensively sound and who are not going to get caught out of position in that sense. And, um, you know, Luke is probably going to be in the battle for that third pair next year. And I think there's some upside there. Um, but I gave him a C because in the end, it's kind of what you expected. Yeah, I, I think a C or something like that is fine. He, he didn't play that much overall and not a lot down the stretch. And there's a reason for that. It'd be interesting to see how he develops. He had a few good moments, I remember. He had a few pretty bad ones, I remember. But mm-hmm. I can't say a ton beyond that. Uh, Johnny Duskinis and Brendan Miles, I didn't. I gave them NAs because they they really honestly didn't play a lot. Um, Duskinis played, I think, maybe eight games or something like that uh, towards the end of the first half. He didn't really play in the second half uh, when things got crucial. Um, I I think he started hurt, and then I don't know. I never really heard anything about his injury after that, so I don't know if he was injured the entire second half or he was just healthy scratched. It seemed like Michigan had who they wanted on the ice, and he was going to be their what eighth defenseman and in the pecking order uh zero goals to assists you know he's also a freshman he has plenty of time to come and grow you thought he was interesting uh take for michigan coming in we didn't get to see a ton of it but i assume that uh you're intrigued with what the summer brings and then how he shakes out next year i have nothing to say about brennan miles at all just i thought he was kind of intriguing when he played um, he mentioned before he's like a bigger physical. Well, he's only six one, so he's not Steve Holtz, but he was a tough guy in the yeah. USHL. Um, and there isn't really a role for a tough guy in college hockey, but yeah, that's true. Um, I I thought his uh, defense was. I remember there was when he first drew in against Minnesota. I thought uh, one of those games. I remember that he was pretty strong in that, and I was like, hmm, you know, there might be something here. But you know, he didn't play enough beyond that to really say anything. Well, he'll be in the mix for you know the bottom pairing right and then maybe even you know that 13th skater next year i would i would assume yeah he'll assuming be, he's healthy i mean like he i should like be I said, in the mix yeah and then you have nothing on miles other than the fact that he was part of the six-man jumping hugs against <laughs> wisconsin which uh i thought he did did quite well all right that is the defense and goaltending we will take a break come back and talk about the forwards <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com. You are I 
So let's move on to the forwards. This is, uh, it's going to start pretty fun, I think. Um, you know, as we get kind of sort of like how Michigan's lines were set up, you know, the, the further away you got from the top, the, the less impressive it always was. But, um, I mean, I, when you're talking about Michigan forwards from this year, you can start nowhere other than Adam Fantilli, who I was trying to make some notes for. And, I mean, I don't, really have anything to say that I probably haven't already said. So I just wrote, you know, this is a guy that's worth the price of admission. This is a guy, you know, I don't know what he's going to be in the NHL and and how that's going to translate, especially right away and all that stuff. But this year, this is a guy that you came to watch play hockey. And I think he probably, I don't know where your expectations were. I mean, you were talking a little bit about like Jack Eichel and Thomas Vanek and guys like that. Um, Given a lot of the different things that he did, I feel like he exceeded almost every expectation I had for him. I, I gave him an A plus because I can't really think of something. You know, I wish he wouldn't have like punched a couple of guys in the face and gotten like kicked out of a game or two. But that's part of what makes him who he is, and it's part did it of cost what, Michigan anything in either of those games. Uh, really, maybe we, one we, point we, against State. Yeah, won that game against Emma. I mean, I, you know. It wasn't like it cost Michigan. Any, so you know. the thing that I have written down here, he had he had 30 goals and 35 assists for 65 points, and they played 41 games. So he had 1.81 points per game, which is, uh, I think, pretty good. Um, but the one thing that I will remember about Adam Fantilli, assuming that he doesn't come back next year, is in that Big Ten semifinal against Ohio State when Michigan's up four to one or four to two and Ohio State's like crowding the net and, and getting they have a chance to score a goal. He's the guy that's laying prone on the ice on the red line as like a de facto goalie, not allowing the puck to squirt through and, and into the net. And like you're Adam Fantilli. You're gonna be a top two, three pick in the draft next summer. You have all the you know world at your feet in that sense. You're the best player in college hockey and you're doing the dirtiest of all dirty work lying down on the goal line. You don't have to do that. That is not something you're going to ask him to do. And yet I'm guessing he's like, ain't no way these guys are scoring on us again. And I'm going to put my, literally my body on the line to make sure that they don't. And that's, that's a different level. I said, it's sort of the McKinnon competitiveness level of him that he has that you just don't see in guys. You see, you see guys that are really good and talented and all that, but he has, he just had another level of fire on top of all of his accolades that we've spent all year talking about. He's just a guy that's worth the price of admission. Yeah, I gave him an A+. Um, I think that he... It's one of those things, so if you're grading based on expectations, right, then this gets into our old conversation about coach of the year and how you don't give it to the great coaches if you're doing versus expectations, blah, 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 blah. I'm fantastically coming in. My expectation was if this kid wants to, you know put his name at the top of the draft and and be an elite prospect, right? If this, regardless of the catching Bedard stuff, because that was never realistic, but if he wants to show that in any other year, he'd be the first overall pick. Or that whoever picks second isn't getting a yeah, bum. Yeah. 
he should be the best player in college hockey because his stats in the USHL, his comparisons were other players who were exceptional freshmen. And so I threw out those comparisons. And I was like, look, if this guy wants to, you know, say that I would be going first overall in any other year, he should put some stat lines up like Jack Eichel. And he did. Yeah. And that, and so it, it meets expectations, which if you're grading off expectations, you'd say a B or a C or whatever. But here's the thing. Connor McDavid, my expectation is he's the best player in the NHL. When he goes out and scores 150 points, he doesn't get a C for that. You no. get an A+. Because yeah. you, you scored 150 you, points. You made expectations, but the expectation was, is you're the best. So like <laughs> it, it's, it's an A+. right? I mean, that's just... I, you know, Fantilli, I will say that some of the, the micro stats and stuff I, I saw going around and the you know advanced circles, things like that, they show that he has some things to clean up with this sort of defensive game and things like that that NHL teams will want to, but... When you score that amount, it doesn't matter. End of the story. Also, like, Seamus Casey was not the best defensive defenseman that Michigan had this year. He was good, but he provided a ton offensively, and he wasn't bad offensive, uh, wasn't bad defensively. And so Fantilli in that same way. Okay. We he, talk about this with Nikita Kucherov. If, in Fantilli's case, if you're scoring, whatever, what do you have, like 60 points, something like 65. that? 65. 65. You're scoring 65 points. That's a lot of defense it's, by having the puck all the time. It's got to be like when the puck goes into the defensive zone, like you go and sit on the bench and no one comes and replaces you. Like that's how bad you have to be to yeah. make that not a worthy trade-off. Yeah. Like guys that get hit for their defensive effort, that's like that's where we get into the like you're a good offensive player, but are you giving it all back? Once you enter the stratosphere of you're like the best offensive producer in the league, it just doesn't matter what your defensive level is. At that point, it stops. But he's so competitive. No, and Fantilli's like, there's some stuff to clean up. It's not like he's, yeah. Yeah, you know, no. not competing at all. No, but he wasn't even bad defensively, I didn't no. think. I didn't he find him. All right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just... I don't even know like what to really go through when you're looking at his at his highlights. I mean, he was a really good goal scorer. He he had a phenomenal shot like from the uh, from the the dot. He scored I don't even know how many number of goals from there. He also had a number of rushes. He was a great passer. Like he could hit you on passes just like as much as he could shoot. And that's, you know, that was the thing like Connor was a great goal scorer and a decent passer. I just thought Fantilli with what he brought to that team and and what he did um, in big big games, I mean, it was his line that was driving all the offense that Michigan had in their last few games. Yeah, he was no doubt their most important player. And I just there's just not a grade that I mean an A plus like you, it has to anything less than that. I just don't know what else you'd be looking for. Like you said, yeah, could he clean some things up defensively? Okay, but he wasn't even bad. <laughs> so. Um, we'll go through his line. Also, Rucker McGrory was next. 18 goals, 21 assists for 39 points. He was a first-round pick, uh, what, 13th, 14th overall uh, last was, year. He was 14. Well, he was 14. was 13, yeah. I think. Um, a bit of a slow start, um, but especially once they put him with the Fantilli line because he was on the second line. Once he moved up, he started to excel. He really started scoring goals down the end. He had a couple hat tricks, including the one against Colgate when they decided to make Colgate pay for the butt-ending penalty. Um, I expect, you know, he's coming back next year. I expect a pretty big breakout from him. I, I gave him an A because I thought, I mean, he's had 39 points in 41 games as a freshman. Uh, I'm not sure what I was expecting, but it probably wasn't, you know, that. <laughs> I'll give him a B plus. 
I, I think a good chunk of his offense was a derivative of Fantilli. So I'm always, you know, beware of just using points because I didn't think he was super effective when he wasn't with Fantilli. Um, you mean like more early Whereas on? I thought the other guy on that line was doing a lot more like heavy lifting in terms of driving play and things like that. But with uh, Rucker, sometimes big forwards, it takes a little longer. So you think sometimes that a big forward is more prepared to come into a new league because they're more physically ready. But sometimes it can go the other way because the speed is is higher mm-hmm. and it takes them a little longer to adjust to the speed. So like catch up. Smaller. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I think he's going to grow and his game's going to be a little bit better. But I, I'd like to see him drive play a little more, become just a little more dominant on the four check, right? Like he would run sidecar to Fantilli, but like Fantilli would have those moments where he'd crash in, body a guy, take the puck, yeah. throw it to the slot. Like yeah. I want to see Rucker use his size a little Cause more. Because he has and, the same size as Fantilli. Yeah, and, and just be a little more aggressive. And I think as he gets more used to the speed, we can see that. The other guy you mentioned is Gavin Brindley. He had 12 goals and 26 assists for 38 points, so you know, roughly the same production. Um, he has not been drafted. He is also uh, going to be probably be a, a mid to late first round pick, maybe early second round pick uh, this summer in this draft. Um, he could not buy a goal in the first half. He was shooting like, what, one, it two percent? Two and a half. Two and a half percent. Yeah. But then they moved him with Fantilli in the second half of the season. He really started to pop. Uh, just super fast. Probably the only guy that really keeps up with Jackson Hallam, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, it's hard to expect a whole lot better for me from an underage freshman. I'm sure he, you know, benefited a lot from playing with both of these guys. You know, I wonder if, is he going to be drafted as a center or is he a wing? <sighs> I mean, every, or do you not? Everyone's a center at one point. Everyone's a center. It's, it's like how every... Miguel Cabrera was a shortstop. Cause like, he was a third baseman, right? No, but like when he was in Venezuela, he was a shortstop. Oh, okay. like so many baseball players start as either a shortstop or a catcher, and then they move somewhere else. Because when they're younger, those are the premium positions. So if you're really good at playing you just baseball, play you just yeah. play them. It's like most forwards start as but a center. Do you project and, him as a center? I think he probably ends up on the wing on a little wing. more where he can use his speed and kind of fly down the wing and that kind of thing. But um, we did see, you know, he was great in odd man rushes because he could get out and skate with guys. Um, scored a goal like that, I think, against Ohio State in the Big Ten tournament. Um, it feels like everyone scored in that game. But, um, I, you know, I gave him an A, too, because I was like, you know, he had 38 points in 41 games is like basically a 17, 18-year-old. He was a high, it was a high school senior. Um, I, I just... I wasn't expecting him to come in and drop 50. I thought that even his, you know, we talk about uh, Forecheck. I remember he had some some moments in that Minnesota series in January where he was doing the same thing, forechecking the hell out of guys. Penn State series also comes to mind where he was going into corners and winning a couple battles. And I was like, who's that? Oh, that's Brindley. Wow. Okay. And, you know, he really fit in on the top line. They played him, I think, low, down lower earlier, um, trying to play him at center at times. I don't know that that's where, you know, it could have just been he'd only played X number of games. Um, but he, he's coming back as well. I mean, you know, you assume. And I he's another guy that you expect to take a pretty big jump next year and produce, well, you know, probably at least what he what he put out this year. And, and I mean, do you do you want him to drive play too? Is that is that a thing? or is it, is I thought it, he was driving play uh, a decent bit this year. Um, so I was pretty pleased with that, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. So I'm I'm curious to see you know how it kind of progresses moving forward. Um, Brindley, I'm very interested in if uh, you're a team picking in the 20s to I guess low 30s. I think you'll go somewhere around like 25, but we're still a few months 
maybe like a month out before the draft boards start kind of because you, you coalescing, I mean, and we get a sense. You of have where to see who's really gonna. Sit. Well, they have to go through like the U18s and the World Championships. There's a few more tournaments before the draft boards start to coalesce, and we get a real sense of where everyone's gonna sit. But I think he's got a profile that if I'm a team picking in that range, I'd be interested in because he's got some upside. He's got some tools. He's just a little jitterbug guy that just, you know, would go in there and would buzz around on the forecheck and uh, could get out in the rush and skate. He's got a decent shot. Um, I just think he's got more tools. And I, I'd be interested in taking an upside play on that. The five foot nine as a slimmer guy is definitely something to monitor, but I think he could play on the wing and could pull it off. Um, you know, he's like a guy you could get Marty St. Louis to sit down with and, and try to, you know, focus on how to tailor his game to the tight areas in the NHL. But I would much prefer to take a, a flyer on him with pick 27 than I would to take, like, a big stiff that's, you know, only got so many But you tools, love big stiffs. Like, you know, your Johnny Beecher types. Yeah. Yep. What was your grading for him this year? Uh, I'll give him an A-. I mean, he was really good the second yeah. half of the season. Yeah. I mean, there's an argument that he was probably Michigan's, what, third best player. Sure. Uh, all right, so the second line, which ended up becoming sort of the Mackie Samuskevich line, so we'll start with him. 20 goals, 23 assists, 43 points. Um, he was a late first in 21, so he was a sophomore, played two years at Michigan. Uh, solid first year, pretty good first year, and then it, and it backs up with it with a nice second year. Um, I thought he had a very good but not quite elite year. Um, you know, depending on what you're looking for, he he maybe could have used one more, and he could have been you know one of those. I'm um, now one of the best players on the team in terms of and in the country. I think he was a little overshadowed by other players, um, and had a, a very like I said, a very good not elite year. When they moved him off of uh, Fantilli's line, I thought he struggled at times uh, to to produce. And, you know, kind of was not anywhere to be found in that Quinnipiac game. But he did have that goal against Penn State. That's probably his sort of, you know, Michigan moment in that sense in overtime. The winner. He's been a sniper and a laser shooter his entire career. Uh, I expect that to to continue going forward. Um, So I end up giving him like a B plus. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would have it somewhere in that same range. The rest, he didn't kind of become a dominant player driving play a lot, but his production was closely tied with who he was playing with, which is a sign of some things. But the dude can shoot, and he might end up just being a just a shooter type guy in the NHL, but I think there's a role for him to do that with uh, Florida, a a team that has a lot of offensive weapons, like where he doesn't have to. Like if you've got, you know, Florida, they've got, for their long-term future, a first line driven by Sasha Barkov and a second line driven by Matthew Kachuk. If you're Samuskevich and you can finish, you know, just go be a shooter on that line. Finish yeah. goals at a 20-25 goal clip. You don't have to do much else; just ride sidecar and occasionally snap one by the goalie. You can make a career doing that, and yeah. I think it'd be pretty easy for him to fit in there because Florida plays quite a bit off the rush. They're an offensive team; they shoot a lot. There's a lot of similarities to Michigan, and there'll be a lot of guys doing heavy lifting for him. So if he can make work in the AHL and get up to the NHL, I think there's a real role for him. I think he could be a fun player. Do you think he could have used one more year? I think he's just kind of what he is in the NCAA, and so I'd be interested to see as he gets to the higher levels. All right. 
TJ Hughes was, I guess, his center that they were at least listing his center on that second line. He was a freshman. Um, and my favorite thing about Hughes, oh, so he, he had 13 goals, 23 assists for 36 points, which was, well, so when we were doing the preview, we just weren't sure what to expect from him. Yep. And he was an overager. And, you know, he could have been scratched. He could have been a fourth line guy. We weren't really sure where he was going to fit in. And in the end, he ended up near the top of Michigan in scoring um, just under a point per game. Uh, he had a shooting binge early that just kind of he found himself in the right place at the right time, got a couple of redirected goals, that sort of thing. Um, faded a little bit late. I think his, you know, skating wasn't his strongest suit on a team that liked to skate. Uh, but he had, you know, spots on the power play where he fit in pretty well. Um, and then um, I think that he's he's undrafted. And so he's an interesting guy going forward because, you know, he produced a lot. And um, I think there's some things that he can do next year, uh, just growing older. And he's a guy that like, you know, Michigan do- doesn't generally take a ton of these guys that have a lot of skill as an overager. And so he has a chance, depending on how long he wants to play out his college career to be an older guy on some of these teams. And he's we already see them, old, right? Isn't he already 21? He's 20, 21. But I mean, like he has a chance to be like the guys that Michigan faces yeah, yeah. with at Quinnipiac and at these older schools, if he wants to play three, four years. Yeah, there was, he showed up on Corey Promman's list. Yeah. Of the UDFAs. And, yeah. I, and I saw that and I was like, you know, I'm I'm advising him don't. Go. You don't do that. Not not yet anyway. No, yeah, like I would say, spend the summer in Ann Arbor, short, like trying to improve some different aspects of your game, and then see what happens after that. Like if you can get a little faster, if you can get, um, you know, improve your vision a little bit, some of those things. Uh, he had some nice like backhand passes. Yep. I remember like between the legs passes and yep. stuff. There's, a little, there's some interesting parts to his game, but he was still mostly a complimentary player yes. this year. And so just seeing if he can get He's older. He's also and, a freshman. <laughs> yeah, and start uh, improve more. And then maybe there's an older version of him that's imposing as well. I mean, there's a guy that probably does not have an NHL ceiling. So we're kind of talking about what is it going to be. But I think if he spends more years in college, he can leave and potentially have a skill set package that would allow him to be a very good player in the SHL or, you know, in the KHL or wherever else he wants to play. So I gave him an A because I was, I, I, I would, I mean, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year, you're going to get 13 and 23 for 36 from TJ Hughes, I would have signed up for it really fast. Sure. I'll give him a B plus. <laughs> uh, and the last guy on that line is Dylan Duke. He was a fourth-round pick a couple of years ago by the Lightning, um, a smaller, kind of fighty, net-front presence guy. He scored a lot of dirty goals. Uh, probably one of his most famous was the one where you're sitting on Brock Faber and beating yep. Justin Close to win the Big Ten tournament this past year. He had 18 goals, 14 assists for 32 points. Not bad at all. Um, I just had him down. He was Duke. I mean, that's that's... Who he was this year, he scored more. I think he had like 19 or 20 points last year, up to 32. A little bit that um, probably came playing on that top line with Samo and Fantilli to start the year. He was in the top 10 in scoring after like the first six or eight games. Um, faded a little bit once that once he went down to the second line and didn't obviously have all of uh, Fantilli kind of creating and everything for him, but didn't drop off completely and, and still finished goals, had some power play goals. 
Um, he's a guy who you kind of think is going to be around a couple more years and is probably going to get a little bit better each year. And he's not a guy that you really worry about work ethic or about where he's going to go or what he's willing to do on the ice. Seems to be a fun-loving guy, like when you see him. Um, you know, I gave him a B plus. I think that's you know what you can really expect from him. I don't. He didn't have the greatest of all years, but he was a great complimentary piece on a team that is generally built on skating and flying and shooting. And he's a guy that fits on the other end of that line. Yeah, I'll give him an A minus. I thought uh, he had a nice season. Still a complimentary player, pretty much always will be. But he's a guy I'd like to see stick for four years. Yeah, I think he could be a really annoying. <laughs> a senior, right? Like that other people are going to be saying, he's still there? Yeah, like I think that uh, he could probably benefit from that. I would agree. Uh, the third line, um, the first guy, the, the center, uh, probably was not supposed to be in this spot last summer, but due to injury, uh, this is where he ended up. Frank Nazer was, uh, you said, went 13th overall, mid-first-round pick of last summer. Two goals, five assists, seven points. Um, I gave him an incomplete because I don't think we really saw Frank Nazer this year. I mean, no. we saw parts of him, but um, he was, you know, underwhelming in, into a sense that you thought, you know, this guy's probably still recovering, still hurt, but able to play, wants to go on a stretch run. And, uh, you know, he had that really nice goal against Michigan State, right? Yep. Where, where the puck hits the ref skate and he comes in, kind of looks a guy off and, and scores high. That was probably one of his moments. Um, but, you know, this is a guy that you expect to have a much better year and a uh, more notable play driving point getting year next year. Yeah, the thing with him was when he got back, you could tell it wasn't him because he wasn't the big dynamic force, right? Like you expect this guy's supposed to be big and, you know, an explosive force, let's say that, right? Yeah. And, um, he wasn't skating anybody out of the yard. And he wasn't very noticeable. No, and that's like the opposite of what his game is supposed to be built about. This was a very flashy player at the lower levels, and so you could just tell it wasn't uh, it wasn't the full package. But he's a guy to really watch next year if yeah. he gets a, a fully healthy offseason. It could be a, a big, big jump. He's a guy that you, it, you look at, and if Fantilli comes back, he's probably 2C, and if Fantilli does not, you, you couldn't. You could see him even starting at, at 1C, I would think. Yeah. Uh, his line mate, Jackson Hallam, uh, six, another freshman, six goals, 11 assists for 17 points. He was a third-round pick of, uh, in 2020. Um, he flashed a number of times, I thought. Um, great speed, uh, not consistent yet, um, but that Ohio State goal that he scored on BTN Plus on that Thursday game in February uh, where he just took the puck, got up the wing, turned a guy, got across the crease, waited until the goalie was down and out, and just finished above him. That was um, that was his ceiling, I think. And, and when he's able to do that kind of thing, that shows you like the finishing ability. That's what you really want to see from him. He played some penalty kill. Uh, he was just a menace with his speed. He could... He, generated a number of rushes, wasn't the best at finishing them consistently yet, but um, a guy that, like, you know, sort of like you want Duke to be here four years. I don't know if he'll be here four, but you definitely want him to be another couple of years, and you're kind of excited to see what that product will look like. Yeah, it could definitely be an interesting payoff if it all comes together. He was basically what I expected, so I'll give him, like, a B or a B-. It wasn't super notable, but he can fly. 
Yep. Just one of those dudes that can really skate. I mean, and you can and, never take that away from him. Right. And like you said, you, you add a couple things to that, and all of a sudden, you know, you have something that you do well. And I had him at a B as well. Uh, their other line mate, Nazer Hallam, played generally with Eric Ciccolini. Um, he is an interesting guy. He, he had seven goals, four assists, 11 points, uh, seventh round pick back in, geez, 2019. Wow. Um, he's interesting because two years ago, we both really liked him. Uh, he started to score a little bit, um, on the, the COVID year team. And then last year, you kind of thought he's a guy who might fit in with one of the top two lines, a sort of a shooter and a, and a just try hard guy. And, you know, he gets hurt and he misses the whole year. And so then this year you think, okay, where is he going to fit in on this team? There's plenty of open spots. And he just, you know, I think they, they tried to push him up, couldn't really get there. I settled on the third line. Was okay. Um, probably wanted a little more from him. But, um, you know, he ended up transferring and, and going to Clarkson and not to North Dakota like Keaton Pearson. Like you had mentioned, you know, I gave him a C. He was kind of... All right, you could go lower, I think, but, um, you know, he also got a raw deal on getting hit in the back by Cooley and getting knocked out for, what, it was like six weeks or whatever. He didn't play in the middle of the year, too. So he didn't have a full complement of games either. Yeah, I'll give him, like, a D plus. It, it just, he's really no better than he was as a freshman. He yeah. might honestly be worse. Because you look down, I mean, he scored seven goals this year. Four of them are against Lindenwood, Colgate, and Wisconsin. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, here's down the stretch. Big Ten tournament po- postseason. Okay? Yeah. Zero, 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 zero. You go through these seven games, he has one goal. It was against Colgate. No assists, no penalty minutes. I mean, at that point, what are you doing? What are you even doing? Yeah. yeah like, I mean, you're, you're not making an impact on the game in any capacity. Yep. And so, I don't really know what to say at that point. You were not in favor of fishing him back out of the portal? I, I just... I just don't think it's happening at this level. Yeah. And I think you can go to Colgate or Clarkson and beat up on Colgate, right? Like, <laughs> play in the ECAC, play teams that maybe are more his level. And yeah. maybe he'll be able to find a niche there. But at this at this conference, which is a high-level conference, on this team that can't give him high-level minutes, it just probably is not happening. That's fair. Uh, the fourth-line center down the stretch, and for definite parts of the year, Nick Granowitz, um he was a senior that started his career pretty well and, and then didn't really end up playing much last year and, and played in quite a number of games this year. Four goals, six assists for 10 points. Um, he got better defensively, I think. We noticed some defensive plays. Um, that fourth line was actually really good at at, at defense and shot suppression. Um, he beat out Philip LaPointe. <laughs> And I, I don't have a lot to say. He, I, I actually think he was better than I thought that he would be a little bit. I did not know that he would play at all. And I thought LaPointe would beat him out, and he did not. And so sticking on that fourth line, I ended up giving him a C just because he was the one that got in the games. I'll give him a C. He's Nick Granowitz. Yep. Decent player. Also entered the portal. Has he landed somewhere? Let me see. I don't think so. We've heard about Keaton Pearson and about Eric Ciccolini, but I don't remember hearing anything about Nick Granowitz yet. 
I typed in his name. There is no news. My guess is that he has not landed yet. He has yet. not been adopted yet. Yeah. Do you have anything else on Grano? No. He was a guy. He was a guy. Uh, Nolan Moyle was on one of the wings on that fourth line. Uh, fifth year. Played five years of college hockey, actually. because a of, long time. Because of the COVID year. that and, and they actually fished him out of the portal to basically come back and be the captain. Um, he had three goals and four assists for seven points. My note on him is I'm going to miss making the circumcision jokes. He, I gave him a C. He was pretty I'll much give, what I expected. I gave him a C minus. Maybe. I mean, his his offensive production was the lowest it's been of his career, and I wonder if that's uh, on a per game basis. Yeah. He's had seven points before, but in far fewer games. Okay. Um, it just felt like that fourth line. They were decent in making sure nothing happened, but they didn't have as like. When Van Wy was there, and they had Raby, and sometimes like Becker would play there, Lambert. Lambert played there. Like they still were not great, but like there was every so often they'd chip in a goal. Well, that remember that the tournament, yeah, in the tournament last year, yeah, they, yeah. that line but had like also, three like, goals. Back when Michigan was an offensive graveyard, like they <laughs> often were one of the better lines in yeah. terms of hemming opponents in and at least getting shots on that. And this year, it felt like they had no juice at all. Like yeah. <laughs> there, just not much was happening for that. That those guys out there. The thing with Granowitz and Moyle is, like, I wasn't expecting a whole lot. No, but I think it did expose who was doing heavy lifting in the past on yeah. offense. That Like, it was probably more Van Wy and it or was more Lambert. Jimmy was, Lambert, yeah. yeah. And then the last guy was Marcus Stappa. He was a sophomore, I believe, five, point, five goals, seven assists, 12 points. Um, I It looked like he got better sort of late. Uh, he made some nice plays, like getting into positions, getting chances in the slot. Didn't really convert a lot of them. He was a decent fourth liner. Um, maybe I thought he could have an increased role if the line is kind of right. Um, he's a big body that does do a lot of work in the corners and can do stuff in the net front. But again, the production isn't there. So I gave him a D because I was kind of hoping that he would take a jump. The difference between him and some of the other guys we talked about is those other guys are kind of like guys you knew what they were and you. I, I wasn't really expecting them to do a whole lot more. I kind of wanted a, a little more from Estapa than just 12 points. And it, you know, maybe part of that is who he played with. Um, but I know they also tried to play him up at the top couple few lines uh, when they had injuries earlier on. And, you know, nothing really popped there either. So you know, we'll see going forward. Maybe another summer with uh, with Narada working on some of his skills could improve that a little bit. But I was a little disappointed in, in his production this year. In addition to like, his penalty minutes. Do you want to uh, guess how many goals he scored after Michigan football was crowned as Big Ten champion? <laughs> So after like December fifth or fourth or after December third, because that game was at five o'clock. It was before the football. Team You're right. Took the field. Didn't he score in that game? He scored two in that game. How many did he score after that? Um, I don't know that he scored after that. He scored one goal. He scored one he goal. Got one against Colgate because because everyone, <laughs> everyone, everyone yeah. scored against Colgate. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I have him like a, a D. Yeah. It's so the thing with him is he had a ton of penalty minutes. Uh, Eighty nine, I believe. Yeah. Well, um, he had a major at least. So. Some of that was not hurting the team. It was misconducts with no majors that yeah. were at the end of games. Because he if got a couple of Because he and Moyle were like Anytime right in Anytime there was yeah. a brawl with 90 seconds left in the was, game, he was involved. Yeah. In so that's a little bit. But here is his PIM per game in the first few games of the season. Mm-hmm. 
220-224-0620. Like, that's a lot of games taking at least one minor penalty, yep. right? I mean, well, and we, most of those were minor penalties that weren't, you know, four-on-fours, roughings, you know. Because I, I, if you want to have t- two minutes every game in a matching roughing yeah. to give us four-on-four, yeah, no problem with that's, that. Yeah. But you're going to take one tripping every game. That's <laughs> Well, we dog Fantilli at times about that. And yeah. Brisson a couple of years ago. Yeah. We, were, we were saying, hey, you know, you, you, you're scoring, but you're also going into the box. Thing about Estapa, he wasn't really scoring. Yeah, it didn't really contribute in that way. Yeah, there wasn't much offense. And again, college hockey is just not the place where you get a lot of benefit from having a tough guy. Yeah, not anymore anyway. So, all right, the last couple guys, uh, the reserves I had written down, um, Philippe Lapointe, he was a guy, two goals, three assists, five points, played in some games, but not many. He kind of he kind of went back and forth with Granowitz. He took a dumb penalty, um, and then didn't really play a lot after that. Uh, it was like in a it wasn't a handshake line. It was like a goal celebration line or something like that late in one of the games. I can't even remember which one it was, but it was just you know I went in saying you know there were flashes we saw from him in his first two years. They put him on the power play once or twice. He had to play a lot when um, everyone went to the. Olympics last year. Yep. And you're like, this is a guy that, that needs to find a role on this team. Like, they only have, what, 14 forwards? Like, 12, 12 to 13 of those guys are going to see the ice. And, you know, half of them are freshmen. And, yeah, I know they're talented freshmen. But then there's other guys. Like, you're bringing back Moyle, who's probably going to play. But Nick Granowitz and, and Eric Ciccolini and, and, you know, Frank Nazer was hurt. You know, so you're running out of guys that you play at forward. And, you know, he just... He couldn't really do it consistently because even when he did, he wasn't effective and he'd take a penalty or just something that was goofy. And, you know, I gave him a D because I, I thought that he would be a little bit better this year. And he was another guy that I didn't think took a step forward. I think between a D and an F is fair here. Yeah. When you have the when you're a forward and you have the same number of goals as five-minute majors in the season, it's a problem. <laughs> well, and he got beat out by Nick Granowitz. I mean, Granowitz is what he is. And he's he's he's... You know, a guy. And at the end of the year, Narado was like, I'm rolling with this guy every game. Yeah, and one of the uh, point five in the major, I just looked this up, it was, a, it was one of the face mask ones. Yeah, that may have been the one in that. Okay, if you're going to take a five-minute major, get your money's worth. <laughs> at least rip at least a guy's head clear off. Decapitate someone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Send a message. And Keenan Draper is the other sort of alternate guy. He moonli- moonlit, I guess, moonlighted on the fourth line uh, from time to time. He had a goal against, what is it, Lake State. I think he had a, a, a Draper goal where he goes to the net, gets a nice bounce, and whacks it in and, and right in front. Um, he didn't play in that many games. What did you say? He played in 12 games or 10 games? 23. He put, Keenan Draper played in 23 games? Yes, he did. That's what College Hockey News has. How many did LaPointe play in? Uh, about the same amount. Okay. Look. Okay. Yeah, there was a lot of games where Draper was hanging around. Oh, man, uh, I mean, they tried to play him. Point played twenty four. Draper played twenty three. Okay. For college hockey news, I just never really saw anything from him. I, it feel felt like to me a little bit. You know, he's twenty years old too, is he not? I think he's an overager he's guy. Twenty one now. Yeah, he's a guy that's in there because of his name to a certain degree, and he seems like a guy who's probably going to stick around at Michigan and and get his degree and and you know, know the value of that and, and, you know, maybe challenge for a spot on the fourth line, but it just didn't really see a whole lot from him. We need a Rocky montage of him practicing face-offs and then maybe he'll have a path. 
He'll be the the new Luke Glenn Denning. <laughs> yeah. I gave him an NA. I guess he probably should be more of a D because they couldn't put him on the ice um, or he didn't do anything when he was there. I thought he played in fewer games. I guess I could have looked that up. But um, yeah, he he is a forward and he had more penalty minutes and shots on goal. Twenty four PIM. He had a very Henrik Sedin last season stat line for shots on goal: fifteen in twenty three games. As a forward, like that means, I mean, you're just not even near the puck, right? I mean, you're just hitting guys. Yeah, I don't I know guess. what's going on with that, but do you see anything for him going forward? Is he a guy that maybe rotates in as the fourth line, or yeah, I mean, you know, you never know what could happen as he gets older, but we yeah. don't have scholarship limits anymore. So if he wants <laughs> to be the 38th player on the team, <laughs> that's probably. True. I just figure he probably wanted to come to Michigan. He grew up watching him and wants a degree from there. And maybe he'll get a degree and transfer and play someplace else. But um, he, I just, you know, he's a tough guy too, right? And, you know, they already have one, a guy or two like that. And maybe he'll be the tough guy in a couple of years. But maybe if he transfers, Michigan can receive $1 in exchange. So he can be the second Draper traded for $1. <laughs> so that that is our grading segment. Uh, a lot of it was probably predictable if you're doing your stuff at home and, and looked up anything at all. Uh, do you have anything to add to any of these? Anything that we had to say about the forwards or? Nope. We, you know, where there's some news swirling about the team regarding a, a defenseman they brought in, neither of us have looked at him extensively yet. That'll be next week when we talk about what we think Michigan will be going forward and, um, you know, hoping we see Fantilli for one more year and and trying to figure out maybe some lines, maybe which freshman they'll bring in, because there's a lot of guys, well, right? We haven't done the coaching grade. Oh, that's oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. We do have some grades. Or we have, do have a couple more things. So there are areas of the team that I wrote down, offense, defense, power play, penalty kill, goaltending, and then coaching. Um, offense, they scored 171 goals in 41 games, which ended up being 4.17 goals per game. I think that's an A. I think you should win a lot of games when you score... Over four goals a game. Yeah, they were like, what, number one or number two in goals per game? Them so. in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, is it? Do you have them down as a C? No. I, I, thought, <laughs> I mean, they were a very good offensive team. No question about uh, that. And then it kind of comes crashing down. Uh, 128 goals in given up in 41 games, which is 3.12 goals per game. That's not good. I had them at about a D. Yeah, uh, I mean, so the reason that... Yeah, I think D plus, C minus is reasonable. The reason that the individual players on defense I thought were higher is because they added stuff on offense. offense but when you're sure. rating the defense, that has nothing to do yeah, with they what were, you're creating they were on offense. very not good defensively for quite a while. Right. There were games that they were fine. Yep. But uh, not consistently at all overall, so... Power play, they scored at a 23% clip. Good enough for number 12 in the country. Um... Now, I had that as a B. I thought they could have been better. Yeah, for their talent level. For the talent been. level yeah. and who they had. Yep. Um, but it also wasn't bad. It was clearly, you know, effective. Yep. And the penalty kill was at 78%. Uh, that's 46th in the country. And they only had two shorthanded goals. I think I, I copy and pasted from the template from last year. I think last year they had eight shorthanded goals. So that at least saved them a little bit. Um, I, you know, I... I'm between a D and a C on this one because I don't think 78 is horrendous. And there were times that it definitely got better. Um, 
you know, you're just, unless you're Ohio State, you're not going to have a high 80s. And so there has to be some wiggle room. But at times it was, you know, a major breakdown in their team and they lost games because that they could just could not kill penalties. And sometimes what was the term that you coined like a couple of years ago where their their traffic cones with sticks? Yeah. <laughs> and that's at times it still felt like that. Yeah, I give them a B pl- or D plus on the penalty kill. There, there were some major issues. I mean, the thing is, again, this is like goaltending in some ways, is that if you get NHL brained, about college hockey stats, you can kind of forget that like a quarter of your schedule are teams that cannot play at all. And so that's why save percentages should be higher. Penalty kills should be higher than you. Like if you have a 77% in the NHL, it's like, yeah, not great, but you know, but that's not Michigan though. I mean, they play play Lindenwood, you play Lake state. That's four games right there. Right. You play Colgate. That's another game. Okay. So now you're at five out of 41. Sure. You play Wisconsin. Who was like... They couldn't score at all. They had like a 12% power play. Uh, that's true. All like, right, so that's six. So now yeah, but you're... That's, but that's... You played so them, five, you played them Yeah, you played them six times. Right, so no, about no. A quarter of your six schedule, games right, About a quarter of your schedule in that's, any given year are going to be teams that are pretty bad okay. offensively. Okay. Like, at a kind of comical level. And Michigan this year had some real problems preventing goals against those kinds of teams and even yep. on the penalty kill in some games. And then you get into better opponents... And it was uh, another. You Ohio know, State took them apart a couple of times. You know, I think I just don't think Michigan should ever have below an eighty percent penalty kill. When you have the talent they are, and you always get that ten games built in against teams, you should not be giving up power play goals to. Also, I don't really remember the last time Michigan had a really good penalty kill. Like I'm not talking like a Ohio State Notre Dame level here, where they're you know insane, but like even like eighty five, eighty eighty six percent. Like I don't. It's it's been a while. Yeah, they need to get uh, Mayotte back. I mean, he had some of their best penalty kills. And those weren't even, like, elite. They were just not what we've seen. Yeah, the, the, the first Mel year. And then goaltending has the same sort of numbers, 128 goals in 41 games. I mean, we already graded um, B goalie, so. Yeah, DC. Nothing really. Not there. really. Not really great. Then the coaching. And that that's where it gets kind of interesting. And um, so... It's hard not to give Nerado a really good grade given all of the exterior. So that's the thing is like, are you also factoring in like what he's walking into and like the situation that he came from and, you know, where he has to kind of re jump start recruiting and all of that? Or are you just talking about? Well, in many ways, this final little bit here at this podcast is kind of the wrap up of the season, right? In many ways, the coach is responsible for the results and thus how we're grading Nerado in some ways is. What do we feel about this season? Did they beat expectations? Did they underachieve? How how are you wrapping it up? I mean, I think that if Michigan makes the Frozen Four every year from now until we stop watching Michigan hockey or they cease to be a program, I think that's it's hard to not have a successful year. I mean, you want to win a title at some point. It'd be nice to win one of these stupid games that we go or, you know, that you get all invested in and, you know, they're O for one for their last eight or whatever it is. Um, but when you make it to the Frozen Four, you've had a really good year. And it's it's hard to really come up with anything negative. You know, I think I've heard some things, and maybe you agree or disagree, but that, you know, part of the one of the biggest things about coaching is, you know, you're success on special teams because it's you're automatically going to be in an advantage and it's what do you do with that and you know how do you put your players in positions to either score or can you you know come up with something to stop other people and you know that was something that I didn't think Michigan was awesome at this year they they were fine on the 
power play, but they were not good on the penalty kill. And, you know, so if you're just looking at in-game stuff, um, you know, there's a few issues. Now, when you incorporate everything else about they had a really young team and, you know, you're starting from a scorched earth view of the program to a certain extent in people's opinions about things that were going on, you know, off the ice and all of that, you know, it's hard not to give them anything but an A because it's just like, you know, we got to a frozen four in a year when, you know, we lost all the talent. They bring in an all world couple of players, but, and they do get Hughes back. Um, but, you know, that isn't a guarantee in this conference. And you look around the conference, the conference was as good as it has been ever. So, I mean, if, if you're in- encompassing everything, I think it's got to be an A because I don't know how anyone does a really better job of, in the end result, getting to where you wanted to go. But if you're looking at individual things, I think then you could argue that the grade could be lower. Yeah, I think that overall they did fine for the season. Um, did fine? I, I don't, fine sounds like a C. No, I, I think that my expectation with Michigan hockey, as we've talked about, is that you should be good enough to win, to be, you know. In, in the, the Frozen Four. In Because fr- I don't like saying that, like, oh, if you made the Frozen Four, it was a good year. Like, obviously in the fan enjoyment level, right? But you can be have a not very good year and then have it redeemed by winning two games. That's kind of how this works, right? Sure, but um, but we would, like, we would obviously note that, but they're also a one seed. Right, like this is, you know, you win two competitive games. It's, in some ways, it's like Michigan basketball in the previous season, right. right? Where it's like, we hate this team. And then they win two but games. But they're a sweet 16. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's a different thing. So I don't like grading based on that, you know, tournament where it's just a couple games. But you also have the Big Ten component. I think when you pair together the Big Ten tournament win and the Frozen Four, that's when you say, if yep. you do those two things you together. Went to, you hang two banners that aren't right. like... And so I, you the know, in the D. And, and I think that there were always the the Jekyll and Hyde way to analyze this team. You yeah. could always say that on one hand they were super young and they had the illness and they had the, you know the, the coach didn't come in till the first week of August and blah 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 blah. And then on the other hand, you could say you had the best player in the country by far. Yep. You had a returning all world defenseman. Yep. You had, you know, six first round picks on your team. You yep. had all this other stuff. Like yep. you should be able to win some games. And that's and that side of it is the side I was more generally on and that's why I wasn't um, you know, clapping like a seal when, you know, Narado won two games in a row or whatever. Sure. Uh, like some people were. But um I had high expectations for this team and eventually they met him. So overall I think it was a pretty good season. And uh I think what I put in my end of the season thing is that overall they came out of the season with a stronger foundation to build on. Yes. I think. And that's, I agree with that. And that's an important. Well, thing. they redid some recruiting stuff, started building up where you need to, because college hockey recruiting is years out at times. Yep. And, you know, they're going to return talent next year. Yep. And, you know, they could even get Fantilli back. And I mean, if you get Fantilli back now, next year, you're expectations, you know, you got to look at goaltending and see who they're going to have. And if it is, it going to be Noah West or, you know, the Brandman, the incoming freshman, you know, that's going to be a different thing. But, you know, they also are going to return a bunch of minutes played at defense too. Now those guys need to get better on defense, but you know, there's a lot to like about this team coming back. If they get all, if they get Fantilli back, even if they don't, they're still going to have a buttload of talent. And, you know, that's something that puts you in a spot that most programs in the country would want to be in. And so when you're continuously in that spot... 
And I, and I think it's that, hard to say anything negative I think about that what we've seen management. from Nerado is is the ability to keep it going where it was with Mel. Yeah. And on the recruiting side. The recruiting side, but also you know, we have to talk about I mean Mel recruited really well all that stuff. But like also part of it comes with being Michigan. And what it's Mel true. was able to do too is like do the other part because like you know, it's not like Red stopped recruiting. I mean, he uh, his third yeah. two final season, he had Dylan Larkin and Wawrenski, and he couldn't make the damn tournament. Like well, that's what Mel got better at. Yeah. Was yes, he upped the level another further, but he was making sure that like once his players were coming in, they weren't going to be in a position where it's like this roster is trash beyond these two players, right? right. And like that's. The thing that uh, Nerado seems like he can keep going forward with. Well, and that's like... Because you're always going to get those first-round guys. It's the TJ Hughes. It's the Ethan Edwards. It's those kinds of players that are going to be around Dylan Duke for a few years that are going to be your program guys. And, you know, he brought in a couple guys this year that look like they're going to be around a few years. Not even just the first-round picks, but Jackson Hallam. He looks like a multi-year player who could be a very effective player, especially the older that he gets and the more experienced he gets and that sort of thing. So... It's hard to find a lot of negatives. Like we talked about, okay, the the defense does need some fixing and in-zone defense and, and transitional defense. It also, you know, the penalty kill is not what we would like it to be. Yep. And we're not talking about how to say it. We're just talking about in the freaking 80s, right? Like that's, that's what we think, and I don't think that's a high bar for Michigan. So those things need to get fixed. Um, but given where the uncertainty that we were feeling last year when we were having this, podcast and knowing you know some whispers about what was going on and that Mel's contract was running out and you weren't sure if he was getting resigned and all of that stuff to where we are now I think we feel a lot better about the direction of the program even in the short term yeah part of it too is there's a simple fact of being under investigation is not great (laughs) <laughs> and it's better to not be under investigation. <laughs> Thank but you, Alex, for clarifying the, that. The other part of it is that you got 25 years younger at coach. Well. And that's uh, another. And he said a lot of the right things, right? Like, I, if I'm in college, I want to coach at Michigan. I don't want another college coach. Now, it doesn't mean he's not going to take a shot in the pros at some point. But, you know, he's he wants to be here. He doesn't just want a job. He wants to be here. Yeah, and, and Narado's a new age coach, and so they again. I think that there's going to be there were some hiccups this year as a first time coach. Sure, I mean he'd never been a head coach of any kind. Well, in his staff, he, I mean he, I mean, he added John U. Bacon had been more head coaching, <laughs> right? Like I mean, well, and, Narado hadn't even been a high school coach. He hadn't been a junior coach. He hadn't. He'd been an assistant, but he'd never been a head coach of any level of hockey. I mean, a lot of and, these guys are still trying. To, like I wrote isn't that the, you know a lot of them are still trying to learn each other's names you know and they bring in yep. an anal- analytics department and there are people working in there and you're you know you got to know where, where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do and, and I, I think how does this work i and, think some of my frustrations at times with narada was more my belief which i've reiterated for which is that michigan should never have a first-time coach that we should be a good enough program to not have to do that but we got put in this situation we took a, a swing on a guy uh, and there's a lot to like so yep. we'll see how it uh, goes forward all right well next week we will get to do exactly that. Well, we will look at some of the returning guys, speculate on who we think will be back, who we hope will be back, and then um, we're going to have to pare down probably some of the people coming in because I don't know if they'll be able to bring in everyone that's at least uh, listed on College Hockey News. Yeah, we'll have our suitcases packed, and we will be telling you what you need to know before we head home for the summer. 
you for listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 5.25 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Come back next week where we will have name tags on because we're learning the new names. Thank you.